Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Unassuming doesn't always mean safe. On November 23rd, 1975, a man was born who had spent his life described as unassuming and forgettable. A man who used that to his advantage and may have taken the lives of as many as 30 young women. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. John Eric Armstrong was born on November 23rd, 1973 in New Bern, North Carolina to an abusive father who physically beat his mother and sexually abused him as a child. A neglectful man, at just two years old, John fell out of a tree and broke his leg while his father was supposed to be watching him. In fact, at a very early age, the boy decided he no longer wanted to share a name with his father. And from then on, friends, family, and loved ones started calling him by his middle name, Eric. Years passed and things only got worse when, in 1978, his younger brother died at just two months old from SIDS, and Eric, absolutely devastated, attempted to end his life. He, at just five years old, said all he wanted was to be with his baby brother as he drove his bike into speeding traffic. His father left, and Eric, in the care of just his mother, never spoke to or dealt with his grief until over a decade later when, in 1989, he was hospitalized after locking himself in a bathroom because a girl at school was pressuring him for sex. 
A few years later, Eric joined the U.S. Navy, where, though described by his family as loving and kind, his rackmates would claim he was moody and rather despondent, but all in all completely unproblematic. While working on the Nimitz, Eric took the required safety education classes offered to all sailors, one of which warned them against soliciting sex workers. Also aboard the ship was a woman named Katie Ranoskia, who in 1998 would become Eric's wife and the mother of his two children. After serving from 1993 to 1999 and receiving two good conduct medals, Eric was honorably discharged from the Navy and enrolled at Schoolcraft College in Lavania, Michigan, once off the boat. By all accounts, it seemed like Eric was a good guy who overcame an incredibly rough beginning. At least, that's what it looked like on the surface. Unbeknownst to everyone in his life, Eric had a dark side that was actively being investigated when police found the bodies of three alleged sex workers, Rosemarie Felt, Kelly Hood, and Robin Brown, in a Detroit railroad yard on April 10th, 2000. All of the women had lost their lives in the last few months. Now, at the time their bodies were found, police already had a strange interaction with Eric Armstrong a few months back that thankfully seemed to stick out in their heads. On January 2nd, 2000, Eric made a call to police when he allegedly happened upon the body of a woman floating in the river. Questioned at the time, he claimed that he was struck by a sudden wave of nausea and, while attempting to vomit into the river, found the body of Wendy Jordan. Though not arrested at the time, it seemed that police never really forgot his name. The lives of the women found at that railroad yard were all taken in the months following this near miss with police who had no clue just how close they got to their killer. Following Eric's odd discovery, police in the area started to investigate him in connection with Wendy Jordan's murder. Now, around the time that Eric, the new guy in town, became a person of interest, he was working as a refueler at the Detroit Metro Airport, was a father of one child, and was expecting the imminent arrival of a second. Neighbors described him as quiet, unassuming, and never once considered him a man capable of such darkness. In fact, when spoken to by the police, the only really suspicious activity that they could think of was the day that Eric left home at about 5 a.m. and returned just an hour later. When asked what day that was exactly, the neighbor in question said that it was New Year's Day, the same day that Wendy Jordan was killed. Sure that he was their man, the police started watching his every move while taking a second look at some of the physical evidence that they had in the case. Things like DNA, presumably from their killer, and tiny fibers on Wendy's clothing that they believed might have come from the car used to transport her body. Still needing something to compare all of this to, investigators started to look into John Eric Armstrong's past and found that police in Dearborn Heights ran a computer check on him a while back for filing a false police report. They claimed he called 911 from his previous job as a security guard and said that he had been attacked during an attempted robbery. When they arrived, they found that he had superficial wounds on his face and arms. And suspicious from the very start, they questioned Eric until he admitted to cutting himself with a scalpel. From what they could figure, Eric made the whole story up to draw attention to himself. The fake report ended up costing him his job. Finding the whole thing suspicious, police finally decided to visit the Armstrong residence, where Eric consented to them gathering fibers from his car and provided them with a blood sample to test. 
Everything was shipped off to a lab in Lansing, Michigan, and officers waited for confirmation that Eric Armstrong was indeed connected to the murder of Wendy Jordan. Because they had no clue that Wendy was just one of many victims, officers did not rush the investigation. Confident that they had their man, when the results finally did come through, the fibers were a match for Eric's Jeep. Despite this, however, the prosecutor's office denied their request for a warrant and said that they needed to wait until the state police lab issued its final report. All the Dearborn Heights investigators had at the time were the preliminary results, so they had to sit back and wait a little bit longer. While they did so, a woman named Wilhelmina Drain stood at the bus stop along Michigan Avenue on April 2nd, 2000, and, getting impatient, decided to accept a ride from a man in a black Jeep. Despite his efforts to end her life, Wilhelmina sprayed the driver with mace and was able to flee with her life. A similar situation happened just a few days later on April 7th, when Devin Marcus, offered money for sex, went off with her John and was almost strangled to death. When she got to safety, she bravely called the local police and identified John Eric Armstrong as her would-be killer. On April 10th, 2000, police found those three bodies in the railroad yard, all strangled and all sex workers. And while the walls were unknowingly closing in on him, Eric went back to Michigan Avenue in his Jeep and spent the next few weeks assaulting several more women. Finally getting what they needed in order, just days after the discovery of the three bodies in the railroad yard, on April 12, 2000, at 12.30 a.m., John Armstrong was arrested when found driving his Jeep in the area frequented by sex workers. He had, by this point, been conclusively connected to Wendy Jordan's murder via DNA. Once in custody, however, he decided to add more names to that list when he confessed, without a lawyer present, to strangling and either killing or attempting to kill each and every single sex worker he ever came into contact with. Tearfully claiming that he killed five Detroit area sex workers and another 11 while on active duty sailor, Eric was connected to the murders of Wendy Jordan, Rosie Marie Felt, Kelly Hood, Robin Brown, and 18-year-old Nicole Young, who was forced into sex work by a boyfriend and abandoned. According to his confession, Eric took lives in Detroit, Washington State, Hong Kong, Thailand, Hawaii, and the Middle East, totaling as many as 30 murders. Though this number might be exaggerated, he also left behind a number of women who were unconscious, but thankfully still breathing. Now investigating unsolved cases in all of the locations that he mentioned, researchers believe that the number is closer to 11. They also claim that he was driven by the abuse suffered at the hands of his father and an anger that stemmed from a high school girlfriend who broke things off after another boy started bringing her gifts. Seeing this as a form of sex work, Eric's hatred grew until it finally bubbled over. Charged with five counts of first-degree murder and four counts of assault with the intent to murder, though one count was dropped when Wilhelmina Drain decided not to testify in court, in March of 2001, John Eric Armstrong was found guilty of Wendy Jordan's murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. It should be mentioned that, at the time of her murder, Wendy's sister claimed that she had given up sex work and had gotten clean by the time she came into contact with Eric Armstrong, 
who showed no emotion as his verdict was read. On June 18, 2001, he was convicted of murdering Kelly Jean Hood, Robin Brown, Rosie Marie Felt, and Monica Johnson after pleading guilty and was given an additional 31 years behind bars. Though he remains a suspect in as many as 11 to 17 cases, he has never been charged with any other murders. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on November 24th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.